great to be reminded, isn't it, that, that Christ came to set us free. Whatever it is that, uh, that may cause us to be in prison or in chains, that Christ has come to set us free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're, we're going to read from, from God's Word uh, now, and we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 3. And if you're using the, the Bibles in the pew, it's on page 1180. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen in front of you. So Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that, is, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. All of us, I'm sure, want to be happy and if you've seen the, the, the movie The Pursuit of Happiness, you'll, you'll remember that Will Smith discovered the, the way to happiness is to work hard and to make loads and loads of money, preferably millions of dollars, and then you will have financial security for yourself and your family, and life will be wonderful. It may be tough whilst you work your way up, but when you get there, it's going to be worth it. The United Nations is also into happiness. Just last year, they, they shared the results of the, of the Second World Happiness Report. The UK apparently came 22nd out of 150 nations that, that, that supplied data for that particular survey. Who was at the top? Denmark, would you believe? At the bottom, Sub-Saharan West Africa, or Sub-Saharan West African nation Togo was at the bottom. It wouldn't surprise you to know that wealth was one of their key factors for happiness. But some people disagree. Tom Cruise, you've all heard of Tom Cruise. He spoke with some authority when he said, all the money and all the fame in the world is worth nothing if you're lonely. A guy called George, uh, George Valent 
from Harvard Medical School. He's been researching the source of happiness. What a great job that must be. And he recently told uh, the BBC's Evan Davis that actually happiness is more about skill at long-term relationship. And he said, if you want to be happy and you don't have a six-month-old toddler running around, get yourself a puppy. I guess that's the danger of low-fat pet food in that one there. But there's more. I'm not sold on the idea that happiness is dog-shaped. I don't know about you this evening. An American psychologist called Martin Seligman, he says there are three ways to find happiness. So if you're looking for happiness, this is, perhaps isn't the dog way, but follow the three ways that Martin comes up with. He says, first of all, it's the pleasant life. That's about seeking as many pleasures as you possibly can and making the most of all of those pleasures, trying to amplify them in some way. And that is a way that many, many people that you, you perhaps are aware of who try to find happiness in life. But he says the problem with that is it, it diminishes over time. The pleasure you get from something after a little while diminishes and you need a bit more. You need a bit more and need a bit more because we get used to it. The second way, he said, is the engaged life. So that's about finding out about your strengths and about the kind of person that you are and maximizing your strengths in every area of life. So in your work life, in your, in, your, in your love life, and in your play life, he says. Get, it, get into self-realization, self-actualization, I guess. Self-fulfillment would be the kind of thing that he would, he would be saying in there. And that seems to have some effect in producing happiness. That is, of course, unless you're unemployed, or unless you're unwell, and you've got some other difficulties going on in your life. But the third way that Martin says people can find happiness is through the meaningful life. The meaningful life, this, this, is, this is where we see our lives are lived, not, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of a higher power. And of course, that, that folds kind of neatly into what we're talking about this evening. Seligman says that pleasure, seeking pleasure in life, has no lasting effect. Engagement, so where, where we're trying to kind of find, find that uh, happiness within ourselves and maximizing our, our, our strengths, that, that can have some benefit to life. But he says that the greatest way to find, a meaningful, to find happiness is to have a meaningful life. In other words, live your life for the sake of a higher power. In our passage this evening, there are three things that I want to, want to highlight as we look at this theme, joy in the Lord. First of all, in verse 1, that Jesus is the source of joy. Rejoice in the Lord, says Paul, right at the beginning of this chapter. Paul is really happy about Jesus. 
He's excited about Jesus because Jesus has done some amazing things in his life. And he wants you to be excited about Jesus tonight as well. He wants me to be excited about Jesus. He, he never stops being excited about Jesus. But Paul tonight is not stood in Mutley Baptist Church preaching to lots and lots and lots of excited people. He's actually in prison or he's under house, house arrest. He's facing a very uncertain future. He's awaiting trial. What's going to happen at that trial? Is he going to get released? Or is he going to face execution? History tells us, of course, that he faced execution. If, if his enthusiasm for Jesus was dependent upon his circumstances, Paul didn't have very much to rejoice in at that time. But yet he was rejoicing in the Lord. There was far more to Paul's rejoicing in Jesus because it was about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in his life. He discovered that this guy called Jesus actually is the Son of God. That this baby born that first Christmas, and we're all getting excited about Christmas now with everything in the shops, aren't we, and choirs getting ready to, to sing at Christmas. This little baby that was born that first Christmas actually grew up, grew up to be a carpenter and just had a normal kind of life for a, for a long, long time, for 30 years of his life. But actually, he turned the world upside down by going out and preaching, preaching a, a new message to people that they hadn't heard a message that they could find joy and they could find meaning and purpose in life through putting their trust in him. The Jesus who went out and healed the sick, who came alongside those people who were feeling hopeless and gave them hope. The one who, who saw people being oppressed by evil forces and cast out the demons and set them free so that they could have life and have life in all its fullness. That Jesus, of course, who went to the cross that, that very first Good Friday and died died at the height, the height of his popularity. He died and seemingly was the end. But of course we know, don't we, that he's risen, that Christ is risen again, and that he's here to tonight with us by his Spirit. Now Paul rejoices in this Jesus. He rejoices in this Jesus because he himself, Paul, had had a very troubled early life. We read about what he'd been up to in his life. But he'd done some bad stuff in his life. Much of it, ironically, in the name of religion. He was even, even sanctioned murder of early Christians. There's a guy called Stephen you can read about in the, in the book of Acts. And Paul had him, had him executed, apparently for, for blasphemy. But of course it was murder. The guy was not guilty of anything at all. But so Paul, this murderer, this man with blood on his hands, found that actually through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that he received God's forgiveness. He got a new life, a fresh beginning, a new start. Things had turned around. He got a, a fresh purpose in life. Wow. Wow. Isn't that something to get excited about? About the fact that Jesus, Jesus is there to give you a meaningful life, to give you that sense of happiness and that sense of joy in your life. If you haven't got that this evening, Jesus wants to give that to you. But Eleanor Roosevelt wisely said once, happiness is not the goal, but it's a byproduct. Paul, Paul wasn't seeking for happiness and seeking for joy. He was seeking for Jesus. And when he found Jesus, he had happiness and joy, if you like, as a byproduct of that. Okay? 
It was about seeking Jesus. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul was actually on his way to persecute Christians and get some more killed, no doubt. He wasn't seeking for Jesus at that moment, although he was looking for truth. He didn't know what it was he was looking for. But Jesus met him on that road and turned his life around. So Paul had found a deep joy in Jesus. It wasn't dependent on his circumstances. It wasn't dependent on what he saw about the future in the short term. It was a joy that was there whether he was, whether he was out starting churches in many, many places as he was, or whether he was preaching to the crowds, or whether he was stuck in prison. Paul had found a meaningful life through following Jesus. As I said, he wasn't seeking a meaningful life, he was seeking Jesus. And Paul had then decided he was going to spend the rest of his life telling people like you and me about how amazing Jesus is, and telling us that we should rejoice in the Lord. And he went all around the, 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 uh, the, the area of the world known as Asia Minor, the, the, kind of around Turkey and those sorts of areas, and started lots of churches. And loads of people came to know Jesus because of Paul's enthusiasm, because of Paul's joy in the Lord. You know, Jesus tonight really is the one who can make us whole. I don't know what you're going through at the moment or where you are in relation to Jesus, but he, he can make you whole. He is the one that can fix the human condition. Lots of other people can have a go and do pretty well, but he is the one who can fix it totally and completely. Okay? That isn't an, an exclusive, it isn't a, a bigoted kind of comment to make. The wonder is that there is someone who can fix the human condition. And we should rejoice about the fact that he can do that. So I wonder tonight, have you got stuff in your life that's causing you some, some issues? Are there things that you regret? Maybe you've got some stuff that's caused you a bit of guilt or shame. Do you like the idea of a new beginning, a fresh start, an abundant and eternal life? If you do, you can rejoice tonight. Rejoice in Jesus, says Paul, because nothing or no one else even comes close to Jesus. So joy, first of all, is found in Jesus. The second thing I want to say from this passage, verses 2 to 9 this evening, is don't let the dominant culture rob you of your joy. Don't let the dominant culture rob you of your joy. Almost before Paul had finished rejoicing in the Lord, we're back to the dogs again in verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, he says, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Who was he talking about? Well, he was talking about Jewish Christians here, people that, that had come from a similar background to him, had met Jesus, but actually hadn't left behind their, their kind of Jewish heritage and their Jewish culture. They believed that Christians should, should follow Jesus and worship Jesus, but they should also follow the Old Testament laws. And Paul, of course, was talking here about mutilating the flesh, talking about circumcision. They believed that all, all uh, Christian men should get circumcised. What a great idea they were thinking that. We, 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 we tonight may not be so keen on that idea, but they thought that was a good thing. But you may wonder, well, why is Paul getting so worked up about this? Surely it's good. Surely it's good if, if we as Christians can, 
can actually uh, take what's good from the culture around us, so that, that we can affirm what, what we find in the culture that's at work in people outside of us, the church. Certainly, that's what we're told, isn't it, by, by our culture, that we should respect other cultures and we should kind of, kind of all try and be one together, that we can all live together in this, this multicultural society where, where we can, uh, uh, in a sense, become one. What's the harm in a little bit of circumcision, you may say? Something I've never ever said before. I don't think I'll say it again. But But of course, what they were really saying was, Jesus alone is not enough for salvation. Jesus is great, but actually you need Jesus and a bit of circumcision. You need Jesus and a bit of sacrifice. You need Jesus and this law and that law and that law and that law. Once you've got all those together, then, hey, you've made it. You've actually arrived. You've found salvation. But, of course, that's a lie, isn't it? That's a heresy. All we need is Jesus. Jesus is sufficient for everything that we need in life, certainly sufficient for salvation. He's all that we need. Nothing, nothing less than Jesus and nothing more than Jesus is required. We're just like these Philippian Christians, though, aren't we? We actually live in a, in a dominant culture that keeps telling us all the time that, that you, should, you should do this and do that. You know, that actually things about relationships that we've, we've been kind of looking at in a minute, you know, and all these kind of things. We, we should kind of change how we, how we read the Bible and read it in a more culturally sensitive way and change how we do church and change what we believe and all of these kind of things because the church wants to be part of this world in which God has called us to be a part of. We need to watch out, though. And Paul is getting angry with, with, uh, with these, these, uh, these, these, these dogs, as he calls them, these Jewish Christians, because he doesn't want Christians to get blind to the ideals and the values of the culture. And it's very, very easy to get blind to those cultural values that come from the media, they come from, from other, other worldviews, they come from... from uh, Great professors and teachers, many, many different places they come from. And they contradict the gospel. And they make us add things to the gospel. Which actually, in, in the end, takes the power away from Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we had an American sociologist here called Tony Campolo. I think some of you were around in the evening when he was here sharing. He was here in the afternoon. Um, and he reminded me in that afternoon session, we were having a cup of tea, I think, and a slice of cake, He was talking about the power of cultures to actually shape and to mold our thinking. And he asked the question, why do young people stop going to church? A few of us here this evening who were there, his answer to that question was, because young people stop going to church. I think, wow, what an amazing guy. That's really helpful. (laughs) What did he mean? He actually had a few more things to say. He was basically saying that, that, that young people stop going to church because they become absorbed by this dominant culture, by the culture of you know, most people outside of this, this place this evening. Yeah? But of course, he isn't only talking about young people. Older people can get absorbed by the culture just as much as younger people can. He spoke of the need for, for us to have plausibility groups. I'm not, I'm not a sociologist, so I think that's a, probably a sociological term, um, that he's using there. Um, but the idea is that you have a group where you, as, you, you and like-minded people can get together 
where, where, you, can, where you can remind yourselves of the, of, of the particular truths that you believe and the values that you hold so that when you do go out into that culture, you can stand firm and you can be strong. You've got, the, you've, you've got that strength within you to be able to stand against it. In other words, what we need to do is to get the truth of the gospel into us and keep reminding ourselves of what it is, of, of the things that we believe and who it is that we believe in. Of course, the plausibility group he's talking about is the church. Some people say that you don't have to be a Christian to go to church. But of course, the truth is, if we stop going to church, that dominant culture can so easily just come in and take over. And soon, we end up becoming nothing more than a Christian in name. And maybe beliefs, but certainly not in terms of value and in terms of action. There's a a phrase that's doing the rounds at the moment, uh, which which kind of, uh, in a sense, sums that up. We become Christian atheists, people who, who kind of belong to a group but actually don't have any, any real kind of lasting faith within us. So powerful is this culture, says Paul, you've really got to watch out for it. And so, as I say, he gets really angry about this. Now, circumcision may not be your thing this evening, but what might it be that you're tempted to add to Jesus? What is the Jesus plus for you? Is it Jesus plus pleasure? Is that what you're looking for in life? If it feels good, do it, because you're worth it. All of these great slogans that come from the media. Pleasure, of course, isn't bad in itself, but pursuit of pleasure is where it becomes dangerous. So our our psychologist, Martin um, Seligman, says that actually seeking pleasure does not work in the long run. But, it, of course, beyond that, it can easily rob us of our faith in Jesus. What happens if, if we're seeking Jesus and pleasure? It's great when life is going wonderful, but what happens if we lose our job or we don't do so well in our exams, when life gets tough, when our prayers don't get answered, when we get sick? In those kind of situations, well, if pleasure is a sign of our faith, it's what we're looking for to say that our faith is true and real, What happens in those situations? I would imagine that we give up on our faith, or at least, at the very least, we get hugely discouraged. But perhaps your temptation is more like Paul's, which which was Jesus and education, and Jesus and career, or Jesus and money, or Jesus and relationships. Again, those things are not bad in themselves, but when we pursue them as the goal of our life, that's when things go badly wrong for us. When we get into this idea of self-fulfillment, self-actualization, self-security, whatever you want to call it, Paul says that we are then in danger. And these things have the power to rob us of our salvation and our joy. Is Paul really convinced about that? Just have a look at verse 7. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider as loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. (laughs) They carry on, yeah. Some joy in the Lord, isn't it? It's great, great to see. But if, if, if you find that this culture is luring you 
and saying, what you really need to do is to add, add this to Jesus, add that to Jesus. It's so important that you can identify what those things might be for you and then count them, as Paul does, as garbage. If you're a student, of course, your education is important. If you're working, your career is important. Why? Not because they, they give you security, not because they give you a sense of self-fulfillment, but because they give you opportunities to serve God and to serve other people. But it's so easy, isn't it, just to kind of fall over into the other, other area, looking to these things for salvation when actually we find our salvation in Christ. These things, the sense of salvation, the sense of joy, having a sense of status and stability and meaning, these things that we look for, all of them are found in Christ alone. And finally then, the third thing I want to say is to prioritize growing your relationship with Jesus, as Paul says really in verses 10 and 11. Paul's goal was very clear. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. We said already that the pursuit of pleasure doesn't work in the long run. Working towards personal fulfillment can, can actually be of some benefit, but doesn't deliver fully everything that we've been looking for in life. That true, meaningful life comes from living in relationship with Jesus. And that was certainly what Paul had found. It's about becoming the person that Jesus wants you to be. Because when, when God designed you and put you together way back at the beginning, even, even, before, even before the beginning of time, he'd got plans for you. He knew the kind of person that he wanted you to be. He knew the kind of things that he wanted you to be involved in. And we can become that person as we seek to follow Jesus and open our lives to God and to let him do within us the things that he wants to do. Actually, it's really quite simple, in a sense, to say this stuff. Jesus isn't looking for believers. But we probably know that, don't we? We've probably heard it a million times. Jesus isn't looking for people who just believe in him, because even the devil believes in him, Jesus says. And of course, the devil doesn't find salvation in Jesus. That is not the way to find salvation by believing in Jesus. The way to find it is by, is by becoming a follower of Jesus, by being a disciple, by being like Paul and like the, the uh, original 12. To be people that model our lives on being like Jesus. A great um, definition of discipleship that I, I'm, I'm, I'm using a lot at the moment is that, that we are to be a little Jesus. That's very much what God is about within us. Paul models, models his own life on becoming like a little Jesus. He lives his life out doing the things that Jesus would have done in the places where Paul found himself. And that's what he wants us to do as well. Jesus doesn't promise a life of happiness. Having said all we've said about joy in the Lord, he doesn't promise a life of happiness. Certainly not on the world's understanding of what happiness really is. But what Jesus does promise is resurrection. And resurrection, of course, is a great thing. Except, except, of course, you've got to die first. You've got to die first. And that's not always a pleasant thing to, 
contemplate. One of the most joyful Christians that I've, I've ever met in my life is a, is a Chinese guy called Samuel Lam. He sadly died last, last summer, actually, but he was a Chinese house church leader and who'd spent over 20 years of his life in hard labor in China simply because of his faith. He would not join the organized church in China that was ruled by the Communist Party. He, would, he, would, he felt that that was the wrong thing to do. He just wanted to, to, to follow Jesus and become more like Jesus. So he spent two years in prison. He was released for a few years, and then he went back for 20 years. And during that 20 years, his wife died when he was in prison. He was, he would, he'd suffered a, a huge amount through, through hard labor, working in salt mines and rock quarries and so on. But he was a man who exuded a real joy of the Lord when we met him. I think we've got a photo of him here. I don't know if you can see there. That's, that, that's him after all that he's gone through there. And you can see just how joyful he is. And that there is one of his favorite, favorite phrases. More persecution, more growth. He wasn't one who, who found persecution easy. Persecution hurt him. Suffering hurt him. But he saw that actually through going through those difficult times in life, that actually it brought growth to him, but it brought growth to the church as well. And if you're not familiar with the church in China, it's growing massively at the moment. Okay? And this man, he, you know, if, if anyone you know, had a right to give up on his faith and say, actually, I'm not really very joyful in the Lord because of all that's happened to me, you know, he would be up there, wouldn't he? But you can see just how joyful this man is. Because his joy was not in his circumstances. It wasn't in, you know, financial rewards. It wasn't in uh, um, uh, other things that we may be looking for, pleasure and so on and so forth. His joy was very much in the Lord Jesus. And if you, like Samuel Lamb here, if you're the kind of person that says, right, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to seek Jesus in my life, I'm going to put him first. I'm going to seek to become like him and do what he wants me to do. Then you will find also that nothing will rob you of that joy that he gives to you. There's no reason at all why you can't have the same kind of experience of God that Paul had tonight. Because God is just the same. He loves you just as much as he loves Paul. And he's committed to you just as much as he's committed to Paul. So as we come towards a close, I'm going to leave the final words um, to Paul, this time from the book of Romans. And I've got, I've got the words coming up on the screen here. They come from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And this is the message translation of that. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embrace God, what God does for you. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops a well-formed maturity in you. Now, even in that, Paul is filled with joy at the amazing truth of all that what God wants to do. 
I wonder if you can respond to that this evening. In a few moments, but we're going we're to have a, a, a time when we can worship some more. But it may be that, uh, that God's been speaking to you tonight. And I, I'm sure there are, there are perhaps people here tonight who, who actually want to find that, that, that joy that Paul had. I wonder if, 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 if you're someone who is a bit like him with a, you know, with a bit of a background, a bit of a past, and you're looking for that sense of joy, but you haven't yet found it. God is here tonight and wants to meet with you and to give you that joy. Perhaps there are some of us here as well who are in that place where it's Jesus plus something. And that plus is getting a hold of you. You realize that you need to count that plus as garbage, but it's maybe a bit of a challenge to you. God wants to set you free from that as well. Or maybe it's that you need to grow in your relationship or make a priority of your relationship with Jesus. Again, God's here to meet with you tonight and to help you to do that. Or it may be that you've known a load of this stuff before and you've heard it all before and it's great and it's stuck in your head. But God wants to move it down into your heart tonight as well so that you experience that joy. You just don't know. You don't just know about it, but you actually experience it down deep in your heart. But God wants to, 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 to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us and to enable us to actually experience him rather than just simply knowing about him. So there'll be opportunities in a few moments to, to, uh, to pray and to receive prayer out, out at the front here as, as some people will come uh, shortly to, to pray with you. Please, please don't go from... Uh, from our service this evening without, without having done business with God. Whatever it is that God's saying to you tonight, please do take him at his word and seek him because he does really want to give you that, that joy in your heart. So let's just pray together. God, we thank you. Thank you that you come to bring joy into our lives. God, we thank you that we can, Lord, that we can find a meaningful life as, as, we, as we seek you, as we seek to worship you, as we seek to follow you in our lives. God, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just how you met Paul at that Damascus road and turned his life around, God, that you're here tonight, Lord, to turn us around. Lord, just as you were there in that prison where Paul was and brought joy to his heart. Lord, if we're in prison tonight, we thank you that you want to bring joy to our hearts as well. Help us, Lord, we pray, to, to be able to, 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 to see what the culture around us is doing, how that's affecting us individually. And help us, Lord, to be able to count that as garbage, as rubbish, and to seek Jesus and to seek Jesus alone. God, we thank you that you are true, that all your words are true. And Lord, that you are the loving God, the one who doesn't come to judge us, but the one who comes to free us. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for your commitment to us. Thank you for your desire to work out your purposes in our lives. And Lord, so we ask that you will continue to work this evening in this place by your Spirit. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.